Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, May 14, 2023. The Sheer ID numbers for Friday, May 12th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,253. That's 20,253. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,254. That's 20,254. This morning, A Vision for You presents Accepting Many Things Which Seemed Out of Reach. We come to Overeaters Anonymous looking for a way out of pain, a way out of suffering, looking for a solution which will free us from the torture and bondage of our disease of compulsive overeating. OA for the proposition that the 12 steps give us freedom from the bondage of food. The 12 steps are introduced in the big book with these words. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Our path is the 12 steps. They are the heart of recovery. The premise of the 12 steps is that a spiritual awakening, a psychic change, or a personality change is necessary in order to recover from our disease. This is defined as a change in the way we think, a change in the way we feel, and most importantly, a change in the way we behave. We begin accepting many things which once seemed out of reach. Our concepts of a higher power and God, as you understand him, afford everyone an unlimited choice of spiritual belief, growth, and action. With the additional support and guidance of our fellowship, we submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been, nor even knew it existed. A new world truly comes into view. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of our lives, are cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions, ideas, and attitudes begin to dominate us as the 12 steps catalyze our inner growth, and our new spirit. Joining us today is Nancy P., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Nancy's life has been transformed as a result of the 12 steps and this fellowship, and she's here to share with us this morning, and it's with gratitude and always a delight to have Nancy P. on the line. Good morning, Nancy. Nancy, star one to unmute. 
Nancy P, star one to unmute. Oh, sorry about that. The uh, the phone kept telling me the feature was unavailable. <clears throat> so, welcome, um, Nancy. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so here I am, Nancy P, recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts, and so grateful to be here. So um, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the way that my life was. I'll just briefly say that um, you know I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for quite some time. Um, this past January, I celebrated or acknowledged or I don't know celebrate, but it was 52 years. And um, I joined in a when I was a little girl because my mother had been in mm-hmm. OA since 1966, and a few years later, she and all her, as I lovingly refer to them, her dumb OA friends decided that all their kids, you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree, so they made us go to a meeting, or they invited us. It was more like a um, directive, but it was a strong suggestion. So, you know, I went and I listened, but and there was like a, a grown-up there to help us because we were all pretty young, but um, it never, you know, I went and went and went for years and years and years, and I never understood or I couldn't metabolize the um, the message. And so when I was that young, I wasn't very overweight, maybe 10 pounds or so, but I'm pretty small, pretty short, so it seemed a little bit like it was a little bit more. And, you know, as I got older, I was able to comprehend more, but it never, I, it was more like if your cat went to an OA meeting, you know, they would just blink. That was me, blink, blink, blink. And um, I also, while I went to OA, I went to a couple of pain ways. Actually, two times I went to diet workshop and two times I went to Weight Watchers and I lost a little bit of weight. Um, and then I would, of course, pick up and sort of try not to be eating all the time. And that's an exhausting way to live. And my life prior to that had, um, you know, or in, as this went on, I was only 11, so my life hadn't actually started very much. <laughs> but in the course between the ages of 11 and 57, um, I had had several catastrophes and um, that none of them, you know, fear sobered me for a bit after each one or I would try to lie my way out or somehow make what I had done or what had happened to me other than what I had done or what had happened to me. And um, so I, I sort of, teetered along, and I mean that in the literal sense. I, my life, you know, I have a pretty good life. I live in a nice house. I, have, I live in a nice town. I have two lovely children um, of college age. One of them is graduating this month, so he won't be of college age anymore. But, um, you know, my husband loves me. We never had um, any strife, financial strife, or, um, you know, we have a pretty good life, like an average middle-class life. We, we, we do okay, and we're happy here. But or, you know, sort of happy. They were sort of happy, and I was sort of, the best I could do was not too mad, not too angry. I was always angry. I was always either enraged, ballistic, outraged, you know, really mad, or just simmering, you know. And I was unpleasant to be around. And, you know, then I had a catastrophe that I I couldn't talk my way out of. I couldn't go over, around, or even through. I just was stopped by it. And that was when my daughter started cutting and burning herself and um, engaging in self-harm. And 
I only thought I knew what angry meant, and I only thought I knew what pain meant, and I only thought I knew what fear meant. That was just overwhelming to me, and my weight was bad enough and exploded, and um, and I gained about 50 or 60 pounds. I was over 200 pounds for the first time in my life, and um, and and I was pretty horrified. Um, yeah, and and she didn't care what, you know, she didn't care how bad I felt. I didn't tell her how bad I felt, but she couldn't help me. She knew that I was miserable, but she was miserable. She was in her own prison, and she couldn't be bothered to help break me out of mine. And, um, you know, I am agnostic, happily, joyfully so. Um, and it's not that I don't believe in God. It's that I don't, um, I'm in the gray area. I'm not an atheist, and neither am I a believer. I live very contentedly in in the middle between those two points. And I really think that one day when I was sitting in my car, having just finished my afternoon dozen donuts sobbing, I picked up the phone and it was really this thing that takes care of me and keeps me safe. Finally said to the other ones having coffee, you know what? I think this one's had enough. I think I'm going to pluck her back from the gates of death and put her on the right path. And I called my dear, dear friend, who I've known since I was 19 and um, she told me about a vision for you. And, and I thought, you know, I heard it was a phone meeting, so I was instantly not interested. (laughs) And, um, you know, she went on and on. I finally said, just to shut her up, I said, all right, give me the website. And she said, no, which was the best thing she could have said. She said, get a piece of paper out and write the number down. I'll wait. And I had to dig in my sticky donut-covered purse and find a sticky donut-covered pen with a sticky donut-covered piece of paper. And I wrote it down in the middle of my sticky steering wheel that was covered with donut crumbs and sugar. And I wrote the number down and I called in on December 1st of 2017, which was, this, I had a, um, I didn't go into work that day because I had a physical. And that day, um, I had listened to the meeting and I have not had to hurt myself with food since that day. But when I went to the doctor's office, she said, you need to be on high blood pressure medication. And I burst into tears because my dad died in the shower of a heart attack and my mother had a stroke in the middle of the night because of, you know, blood pressure issues and heart issues. And I was convinced that I was going to die in the next 20 minutes. And, and I burst into tears in her office and she said, what is it? And I said, Oh, you know, I told her about my mother and my dad and I, and she said, no, no, no. She said, a lot of people go on high blood pressure medication. She said, even people that are thin or be, people that don't have, she didn't say thin. She said, people that don't have weight problems. And um, so I took the medicine and um, and then I lost, I don't know, 60 or 70 pounds, something like that. I lost, I lost the weight. And um, I went back and she's thrilled with me. She's like, this is great, you know. And I said, well, can I go off the medicine? She said, no. She said, you still have to take it, but my dose is the smallest dose now that, that is manufactured. And so I, I'm still on that medication, but um, but it's really now just a um, just a medication. It's not a harbinger of death to me the way that it was. So I, I joined A Vision for You, and I felt better. And we all feel better when we first, or at least, I don't know about we all, but I know a lot of people that felt like I did. They they dial into this meeting. They're not. No one's talking about you know, how terrible their lives are, or maybe if they do, but they talk about how great their lives turn out to be. And, um, you know, when I listen and I felt better, 
but I had felt better before, right? I'd lose some weight. I'd feel better. I'd get between breakfast and lunch without, without eating, and I'd be like, this is no problem. I've got this licked. I think I'll have a cookie just to make sure I have it under control. And um, and so I knew that I was in order to stay feeling better, I was going to have to dip my toe in a little deeper. And so I got a, a vision sponsor, and um, she took me through the steps, and um, she's not – I, you know, she, we no longer talk because she. I think she only sponsors um, newcomers, or she, you know, she had a lot of former sponsees. So she said, I don't have time to give committed time to everybody anymore. So you know, we're more or less out of touch. But I will be forever grateful to her because she was just what I needed. She was. Um, she's not my friend, and I wouldn't pick her for a friend. But she was an excellent sponsor, and she knows the book. She was an excellent sponsor, and she didn't nurture me. She didn't. Say, oh, that's so sad. Oh, poor Nancy. Oh, your life is so terrible and, you know, or was so terrible or is so terrible. She never said any of that. She didn't, I mean, it's not that she didn't care, but she had, you know, she had a lot of sponsees and she was very active in the program. And um, that's what I needed. I had, I have people in my life. Um, I have my sponsor. I call her my real sponsor because I've talked to her on the phone five days a week for 40 years. And um, she's still my dear friend. And so my, my vision sponsor took me through the book and she would ask me, you know, she would talk, I would read and she would talk and then she would, we'd finish a section or a chapter and she'd say, any questions or comments? And I always said no, because my attitude was, had been for all those decades, you know, for the 40 plus, almost 50 years. Um, do you know who I am? Do you know how long I've been in program? Do you realize who I am? I'm, I'm special. And, you know, I'm not special and it doesn't matter how long and it doesn't, none of that matters. And I, I confronted that and, you know, she didn't tell me, she never said that to me. She just kept talking and didn't treat me any differently than I think she treated anybody else. But I had a lot of people that would say, well, you know, one door closes, another one opens. And, you know, all the, all the catastrophe that I brought down upon myself, um, you know, I would cry to somebody and say, oh, you, you know, whatever happened, you know, I wrecked a car, um, you know, I lost a job, I alienated a friend, nobody likes me. Um, and they'd be like, no, but, you know, you'll make a new friend or, you know, you can, it's only money, you can buy a new car as long as you're okay and that stuff. And I never got better. And until my daughter forced me to, I had to be there for her because she was hacking herself up with a razor blade and burning herself to a crisp. And she was in and out of the hospital, and I was getting called at work three times a week. You've got to come and get her. And it was awful. And and she didn't care about me. I mean, she loves me and she cares about me, but um, she was in her own prison, as I said. So, so I was forced to take it seriously. And when I called into a vision for you, I felt better, and I wanted to continue to feel better. But I couldn't imagine getting actually recovering because I had felt better before, right? I had joined all this, these things, you know, more meetings, fewer meetings, different meetings, eat this, don't eat that, eat that, don't, don't eat this, you know, eat this, whatever, all of it, you know, weigh and measure, don't weigh and measure. Anything that I could do except what worked is what I did. And so that, you know, when I went through the steps with my sponsor, she 
wasn't interested in anything that I thought. I didn't commiserate. I didn't say, oh, yeah, that happened to me, and oh, yeah. I never did that. I only, I had a, rarely would I have a question. I just listened. I, I, if I didn't understand how to do something or if something was unclear, I'd say, I have a question, and she, she'd answer the question. And so we had a pretty clinical relationship. We didn't have really an emotional relationship. She was the doctor, and I was the patient, and I did whatever she said immediately and as hard as I could. And, um, you know, it sort of snuck up on me. You know, I didn't know that I was going to feel better. I mean, I know that, you know, I love Bill's story where it says, you know, he's he's 22 and a veteran of foreign wars. He's coming home from World War One, and um, he's going to take the world, you know, by the tail and swing it around. And I always say this to people. I guarantee the Carnegie's and the Rockefellers were not quaking in their boots at this 22-year-old Pips week who comes back from Europe and is ready to take them all on. But he has what I have. He had what I have, which is I didn't want to go through from the beginning. I wanted to start at the end. And I, the only thing that I think that I, have, that I had working in my favor was that I knew that abstinence alone was not the answer because I had been able to put the food down, never for a very, very long, maybe six months at the outside, at the very very outside before and and that was maybe the last six weeks of that might have been me sitting on my hands like clenching my teeth to shards while I didn't eat and then finally of course I would always pick up so I couldn't imagine doing what the book said I mean this very book that I have in front of me I have the date I got this book from as a gift from my parents on June 23rd 1979 I've been to tens of thousands of meetings maybe hundreds of thousands and they never did me any good because I couldn't do what the book said and you know when my sponsor started talking to me about it in terms very um, you know very sort of you know, elementary, I should say, that's a good word for it. You know, like when you're in elementary school, you you don't read, you know, big complicated books, you read storybooks and board books. And, and, you know, at least when you start out, and then you, 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 you learn to read, and then for the rest of your life, you read to learn. And that's a really good metaphor for me, because when she took me through the, through the steps, you know, my attitude was, I don't know, I don't know. But, you know, little by slow, I learned. And, it's sort of like professionals that go to college for, for, you know, my brother has a degree in chemistry and he went to school for four years and studied chemistry and then he got a job as a chemist, as a bench chemist and um, for a pharmaceutical company. And my father asked him before, he was right when he graduated, right after he graduated, well, you know, a few months after he graduated. And um, he said, what are you learning at work? And my brother said, chemistry. So he had spent four years studying it, but learned it by doing and that's kind of what I think happened with me in the steps. I learned, I, I absorbed every single thing that my sponsor said. I paid close attention and I began to, I wasn't eating compulsively. I did put the food down and I have not had to hurt myself with food since that day, December 1st, since November 30th, actually. Um, but I didn't know that this was going to work. How could I have known? I mean, what, where's my benchmark for that? I have no data to prove that it's going to work other than it currently wasn't, was working. And so, you know, I put down my prejudices and I accepted that maybe I didn't know everything. Not, I'm not committing that I don't know everything or I wasn't committing that I don't know everything, but I thought maybe I don't know everything. And maybe 
you know, I had this secret thing in my back pocket, like this God thing, I'm going to die from it because it's all predicated on that. But it really isn't. I found out that um, I could actually choose my own conception of a power greater than myself, actually. And not, I don't have to choose God, but neither did I have to choose, you know, something that wasn't going to work. And it's sort of like, Nancy, we lost you. Star one to unmute. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. But um, anyways, my sponsor said to me, you have to decide what you want God to be and what you want God to do for you. And I won't go through that whole story, but I did choose. And like, you know, I thought about it and I thought, what do I want? What do I want? And I picked all the things that I wanted and I tossed out everything that I didn't want. And... um you know, the things that I wanted were kindness, friendliness, generosity, sensitiveness, compassion, honesty, integrity, dependability, patience, etc. And um, and what did I want it to do for me is make me into those things. And thus was my cornerstone set in place and no later vicissitude has shaken it, ever. And, you know, I I am moved by it every day with every breath I take. And But this happened, um, you know, I chose my conception but it's not like, you know, cue the Handel music, everything smoothed out. Not at all. What happened was I accepted that I had to get something. So I got something. I never, ever, I mean, you know, I sort of played at that. I'd say, yeah, I think I'll have nature be my higher power. Yeah, I, I like that. I like whales and elephants. And and that never worked because what does it say? Faith without works is dead. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't work unless I actually do it, you know, Um you know, there's a joke, those that can do, those that don't, can't teach. I think it's those that teach do. And um, my sponsor and all the teachers that I know and love on this line or in the program, I love you all because you teach me so much. Um, and, you know, I used to think that just thinking about putting the food down and doing spiritual work was the same as doing it. And it wasn't because, you know, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to put the food down and then I go back to the couch with something to eat. Um, and, you know, and then I thought, how am I going to en- enlarge my spiritual life? And I remember calling the, the woman, my friend, who, who told me about A Vision for You, and I said, what do I do to get more? I, felt, I feel pretty good. What do I do to get more? And she said, just keep doing what you're doing. And I um, didn't believe her. So I decided to start a meeting and um, and get vision people to speak on it. This is before Zoom, before um, the COVID or anything like that. And so I, I um, brought my phone and asked people to dial in, and I'd have them on speakerphone. And then, because I'm such a jerk, anyone that you know brought a handicraft to the meeting, I told them they couldn't do it, and, and everybody hated me, so they all left and the meeting collapsed. <laughs> and I deserve what I get when I do stuff like that. And, you know, and then... You know, and so I learned my lesson. I learned another lesson, and I kept going, you know, with my sponsor. And, you know, and I wrote my fourth step, and she told me, she was the one that told me, you know, nothing except what's going on in your life today. The only time that you write about your fourth grade teacher or your high school boyfriend is if you think about, you know, Mrs. Karen or, you know, Dave every single day. And I don't think about either of those people every single day, so they didn't make the list. So I wrote my I wrote my fourth step, and and 
people think that the fourth step is kind of like a, a baby that has to be birthed. And I've had two children and it's nothing like that. And um, we lost you again. I'm back. Sorry about that. Thank keep you. Doing that. Um, you know, I had written a fourth step that was 550 pages long and it didn't get me anywhere. I spent three years, six nights a week for one hour a night writing it. And, um, and it didn't, I ate for 13 more years. And then I, my vision sponsor told me, you know, she gave me the sh- these sheets that many of us use. And so I re- used those and she gave me two weeks and she was pretty scary. So I wouldn't, I, you know, I was thinking, what about the three years? What about the six, you know, what about the indefinite amount of time? And, and, but I didn't say anything cause I was afraid she'd yell at me. And, um, and I did, she gave me two weeks and I got, I wrote it the best that I could in two weeks. And I got to six pages, 18 resentments, three to a page, 18 resentments. And I got to exactly the same place as I had. And, you know, I couldn't believe that I was actually going to get better. You know, I couldn't believe that this process was going to work for me. And um, and I didn't know that it would. You know, I didn't know that it would. And I I told her, you know, as I was entering the, the you know, coming to this point that I didn't think it was going to work for me. Why not? Because I'm not sure I believe in God. And she said, again, an amazing statement that I never could have believed was that I hadn't had a spiritual awakening yet. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. How could I know? I thought I knew everything. I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I thought I knew everything. And, and, you know, we went on and, you know, and my, you know, when I gave my fifth step, my fears didn't fall from me. You know, I didn't, I, you know, it says it makes all these promises we've begun to see. And that's the key thing. We've begun to see that our, you know, that our um, resentments are, are, we comprehend their futility and their fatality. Those are promises. That's stuff that's yet to come. So I didn't have to do anything except what was right in front of me. And today, you know, my benchmark is um, that all I need to look at is my feet. And if they're facing forward and moving forward, then I don't have to worry about anything. And, you know, moving to the, you know, sixth and seventh step, those two steps are, the, you know, every step is the best step. But those two steps are amazing because it says, um, we became ready. And then the seven, you know, six, we cut, we're ready. And seven, we asked to have it removed. Well, what if you're not ready? Well, the book says, don't worry. Do it when you're ready. I mean, they say do it when you're ready. The implication is do it now because you, you might not ever be ready. But, you know, I think if I'm not ready, how's it going for me? Doing it my way. So again, you know, I had to jump out of the plane all these different times. You know, I jump out of the plane over the field of metal spikes that are tipped with cyanide. I got to fling myself out, and every single time I've done that, I've been caught and held and placed gently in a safe space. And you know what happens with that is, every time I do that, it begets more confidence or more. Um, I don't like to use the word faith, but I will because I can't think of a better one. But it, you know, I have knowledge, I have experience that builds on itself that shows me that I'm going to be okay. And I never thought that anybody but me was going to be able to make me okay. I didn't know that the key to all of it besides surrender, surrender, surrender is the idea that I cannot do this myself. 
and if I and if I think that I can do it myself, all I have to do is look back at my life and see what a mess I made of it. And when I think about um, how how wonderful my life is today, how full of other people it is, and how how wonderful everything is, I think about the reason that it is is because of other people. It's not because of me. I mean, yeah, it's my life, so I'm in it, and I, it's because of me too, but... I seek counsel from others all the time, just like what it says in the fourth step. You know, seeking counsel with others is a good thing. And I ask people's opinions. But the mo- the person whose opinion I ask the most is my husband because he's unencumbered by um, this disease. And at the same time, he lives a life of moderation and has a, as light a touch as a person can have and still have a, a profound effect on other people. In his work, he is that way. As a husband, he is that way. And as a father, he is that way. And as a, I'm sure as a community member, he's, you know, I'm not with him every second, but, you know, he brings light wherever he goes. And he's a really good person. And, and, and I love the idea of asking, seeking counsel from him because I have to beg him to give me any information at all. This happened or this is what I'm feeling. What do you think is the best way to go forward? And he, he never wants to talk partly because he's an engineer and British, so, you know, really a man of very few words. But um, but he, when I really need him, he comes through and he'll, he says as few words as possible, but, but has a profound effect on me, you know, because what he shows me by his um, brevity of speech and his brevity of speech is that I also need to be, have as light a touch as possible around whatever the problem is. And, and you know, I never, in a billion, million years, I never thought that I was going to be able to live like that. I had to know what was going to happen, when, who was going to do it. I had to have all my ducks in a row every all the time. And um, and it just isn't so anymore. And, you know, I'm not a, I, I'm not one who, who prays or meditates um, as a thing. I have, I've said this on the line, um, anybody who's bored, forgive me, but um, I have one prayer and it's sort of a one size fits all. And the prayer is, I don't like this. I don't want things to be this way. And um, it's kind of a one size fits all because it's the purest form of supplication that I can think of to just express how I feel. And, you know, all of that is, is that I don't want to surrender. That's what that really means is I don't want to surrender, but that's the only answer for me. Surrender. And let everything come in that's in store for me. What makes me think all these years, still today sometimes, not very often, but all those years in my life I thought what I have is what I know what I have is can't be worse than what I'm going to get. I always thought that what I'm going to get can't be better. Because some good things in my life, right? I mean, I live in a nice house. I could be living in a hovel or under a bridge, you know, eating cat food to stay alive, you know. How you know? How do I know that what I'm going to get isn't better than what I have, spiritually, emotionally, even physically, you know, materially? Um, I always assumed that it couldn't be, and if it was better, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was like, how can this be? And um, so this thing about acceptance, I'm not really a good acceptor. It feels like I'm taking medicine, and I don't like to take medicine. Um, but Surrendering is a way of accepting, of, you know, smoothing out, being a riverbed and having my life flow over me and and surrendering that whatever I get 
isn't so much what I need. It often isn't what I want, but it's what I get. And in this, you know, you got to play the long game. I have to play the long game. What I have today might not be what I want today, but when I look back on my life at the things that have happened to me, each and every one of them have contributed to the woman that I am today. And um, I love the woman that I am today. I think, you know, I never thought, talk about accepting things that I never thought I could, first and foremost would be myself, not just to accept myself, but to embrace myself. And today my problems are answered. They're not solved. They're answered. Just what it says in the book, my problems are answered. And some of them are solved. I mean, sometimes, you know, what's uh, solve this problem? Well, I got to go get groceries. Okay, go get the groceries. You know, go to the grocery store. Then your problem of not having any, you know, what you need in the house will be solved. But, you know, the, the naughtier problems, um, the more complex or the sort of the more, you know, emotional problems, those problems are answered. And often they have to be answered again and again and again, but they don't have to be, I don't have to be put in prison with bars and a key to just that I'll listen. You know, they're living this life of surrender and spiritual wakefulness is a way for me to, um, to, to metabolize those answers into my life. And, you know, to, to give an example, I, I'm not, I never expected that I, I, what do I want to say? I thought that when I got recovered, that if I would recover, that that meant that I would have a long-term, that I would have long-term abstinence. And, um, and I know, you know, I mean, long-term, five and a half years, I guess that's a little, little long-term, but um, I thought if I could get that, that I wouldn't be angry anymore. And I always would think if I would put the food down, why am I so angry? Like I literally could not figure it out. And today, I'm not saying that I never get angry. I do sometimes. I actually do get angry sometimes. But it doesn't own me anymore. And I never thought that I would, I never, in a million years, never would have thought that I could not, I don't welcome my anger, but I, I treat it with the respect that it deserves. I don't, I don't love it. You know, I don't, you know, there used to be something like, you know, if I could feel myself building up a, a, a righteous head of rage, you know, and then I could light into somebody and make them ruin their day and make them cry or, or you know, just ruin, ruin everything. I consider that to be a success. And today, I don't want to get angry. I don't want to. And when I do, because I'm human, it's not so much that I stop everything and say and pray because I don't do that. But um, the ninth step, when it says this stuff becomes a working part of our minds, it's actually in my mind. It's like if you have, if your dryer breaks and you call the dryer guy and they say, oh, you need this, this part wore out. We have to put this in. It's not like your dryer's going to work without that part. Like I have something new in my brain, some part that got replaced that was worn out, broken, or was born malformed. And it, it's, got, it's been replaced. So I don't have to think about the ninth step. Like it's all a working part of my mind. I automatically stop and 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 or I'm, I'm not as quick to speech. It's not that I stop and say, all right, everybody wait while I think about this. I don't do that. And I'll give you an example that is both hilarious and illustrative. Um, Friday, I was going to see my son because I had promised my daughter that we could, he, he works at a bar and she's 21. And, and, and I said, well, we'll, I'll take you to his bar on a night that he's working. And so we, you know, so I wanted to keep my word and I'm working on that, right? Because the doctor's opinion said you may, 
um, rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. And I said, I would do that. I want her to rely on me. So I said, okay. So we said, okay, we're going to go. So I go there without telling him. I didn't make arrangements. I told him I was coming while I was on my way. And, um, you know, that was not convenient for him. But he was super nice. And we get there. And um, it turns out that everything that I thought was going to happen on Friday was actually happening on Saturday, meaning that I had to work Saturday morning, yesterday morning at quarter of 10. And I drove, it's like almost 100 miles. So I go there. I had rented an Airbnb also for the wrong night. Everything got, you know, like I didn't switch anything. Everything was, and I went to the woman's house that the Airbnb was. And I said, oh, you know, she said, I'm sorry. I, I have someone tonight. And, and, she was nice enough. She gave me my money back. I got another Airbnb, um, a better location. And um, But I then I left my key in the place at quarter past six in the morning and my car key, and I had to wait 90 minutes for the guy to wake up to let me in. But I still got home in time, and then I had to go pick my daughter up in Springfield, another half an hour drive. And instead of, like, being enraged, I got her, and I said, well, that was all exciting. And we both laughed about it. And and then I got to work on time. I mean, that had the capacity to just be a disaster for me. I mean, just a disaster. And I attribute that strictly to never, ever being owned by my feelings. Like, yes, I was frustrated. Yes, I was angry. And I wanted to smash the guy's door in and just say, sorry, I just need to get my key. But I didn't. And um, and he was very apologetic. He said he turns his phone off. And I said, of course you should. He said, I never should have done that. He said, of course you should. This is my fault. I did it to myself. And I'm going to give you a great review. And he gave, we just both, you know, metaphorically hugged and kissed. And we both gave each other great reviews on, on Airbnb. And, um, and then I worked all day. And then um, I came home and put all my stuff in the sink. And I was telling another fellow this morning um, that I woke up this morning on Mother's Day and found the sink still full of junk and thought, just just for one second, really? you know. And then I realized that um, this was an opportunity to love my family because they're normal, acting like a family. And, um, and so I joyfully did all the dishes and all the stuff in the sink. And um, I'm so happy. And then I said, um, I, my daughter made me a beautiful ceramic. She takes ceramics at school and um, is quite talented. And she made me a beautiful yarn bowl where you can put your ball of yarn in and then there's a little thing so that your yarn doesn't get tangled. And she made it ceramics. It's gorgeous. And um, she made it for me. And my husband you know, gave me a card and a gift. And I said, I love you both, but I have to go speak at a meeting. So I kind of blew them off and came up here. And, um, and they love me. They love me. And I never ever thought that if I did everything that it said in the book that I would get everything that it promises and like the rest of my life is amazing. I mean, amazing. And, um, you know, I have just, you know, I, I love disengaging from stress. It's not always pleasant. I don't like surrendering all the time, but it only hurts until the moment that I do it. And then everything sort of smooths out on kinks, you know, rolls out like a red carpet in front of me and and my life is is amazing my problems are answered not solved i might still go on an airbnb and screw everything up and have to have to pay extra or whatever you know but um but this time i didn't and so this time my problems were answered and my life today is you know i i don't have to worry 
I don't worry anymore. And when I feel like that's one thing that I really don't do anymore. When I feel as though something is giving me what I call mental disquiet, I disengage and I wait. Or I'll say to some, I'll seek counsel from my husband, usually, or another program person, but usually my husband. And I say, you know, I think this, or I'm, I'm, what do you think about that? And he always says, you know, we can't control it. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. My instinct is to always, I want to know. I want to plan. I, 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 I'm a shapeshifter. I want to plan to know things. I say that I want to plan, but really it's just because I want to control things. And that's another reminder. That's the one thing that I never thought that I would, you know, one of many things that I never thought that I would be able to do is see it for what it is and put it in its place by using the principles of this program. Yes, I am ready today to have all these defects of character removed. And by the way, they're defects of character. My character is still the same that it ever was. Certainly many if not most of the rough edges and the, the splinters and the snags have all been sanded smooth, but they're still, you know, they come up at odd times, you know, um, and, and bite me, you know, or, or stick me in the eye. And, you know, my, my, um, my children and my husband, I, I think mostly my children, they're, they're their own people now. My son's moving to Chicago in the fall um, away from me, you know, like I can't believe that he's doing that to me, but I'm embracing it because I'm going to go visit him there and I can go visit him. And, you know, my daughter wants to go to graduate school in the UK and, you know, I'm sort of, you know, embracing that. She's luckily I have another year with her before she makes a final decision, but, you know, I'm embracing that. I'm not saying no way you're not going to do it. And, you know, any of that stuff, I try to be supportive. And at the same time, I tell her, do whatever you want, as long as I don't have to take care of you when I get old. I don't care, you know. And um, and I will say one last thing. I just want to check my time here. Um, yeah, I'm doing well. The one last thing that I'll say is, you know, working with my sponsees, especially them, because I spend an hour, t- every time I talk to one of them, I spend an hour, and um, three times a week. And... Um, you know, I talk to them and they teach me. It's not so much that they teach me, but I read this book again and again and again. And I go through the steps again and again and again. And um, and I continue to learn that I'm, you know, what it means to, to um, be doing things, trying to do things myself. I say it out loud. You know, I just realized that sometimes I don't even know when I'm trying to do things myself. But luckily I get a reminder that says, you know, in the form of some unpleasantness or perhaps a near miss of some unpleasantness to remind me to stop. And because I, because my life has been completely transformed, I don't have to remember to, to bring it up. It's already a part of who I am. And, um, and so it's right there for me. I do work hard at it. I spend um, about six hours and 24, seven days a week doing this work. And, um, I used to think, how could I possibly do this? But the people that whose recovery I really respect, they do that. That's what they do. I don't know if they spend, I don't know how much time they spend. But I go to meetings. I work with other people. I make a lot of phone calls. I stay on the phone. Um, those people saved me when my daughter was so sick. They saved me without even knowing it because all I did was cry and call and cry and call. But I didn't cry on the calls. I just said, hi, how are you? You know, this is Nancy P. I'm just making outreach calls. 
and um, I still do that. I still do that today, and um, and I don't let, you know, this was unfathomable to me, this embracing of what I have to do. I embrace letting go of stuff that doesn't work in favor of stuff that does. That's what it says to do in the book, the ease with which we do that. It wasn't exactly easy for me, but I do that stuff joyfully and enthusiastically, eagerly. And um, the last thing that I'll say is all these steps, when it says afterward, they mean after step 11, not step nine, after step 11, because, you know, what's, you know, you go through the process, four through nine, you know, one through three is, you know, you come to the conclusion, four through nine is the, is the, the, you know, the process steps. And then 10 is wash, rinse, and repeat. 11 is kind of a, you know, put the hammer in the co- put the nail in the coffin with, with prayer and meditation. And, and that's how come I know every single night I do a written 11 step inventory that I send out to former, you know, to people that I, not former sponsees, but my sponsees that I'm are not actively working with. And, um, and all of that prepares me to do step 12, which then again allows me to work the previous 11 steps. So I hope that was um, enough about, you know, afterwards we came to accept many things, which then seemed entirely out of reach, not out of reach, out of the stratosphere, out of any level of consciousness that I ever could have possibly had my life today. I've said it on the line. I'll say it again. I didn't have a white light experience. I have something way better. I live in light and joy and buoyancy. Every breath I take, I'm surrendered. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I'm spiritually awake, wide awake every waking minute. And I think even in my sleeping moments, to borrow a phrase from the doctor's opinion, and everything that I have is for everybody who's struggling, everybody who doesn't know, Everything that we all, everybody who's recovered is for everybody. It's unlimited, it's free, and it's available. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Leah, for asking me to speak. Oh, thank you, Nancy, for this beautiful presentation this morning. So compelling, authentic, and truly inspiring. And, of course, I always love the humor. Thank you so much. Share ID for today. 20,258, that's 20258 for Nancy's presentation. Of course, it'll be archived, another gem for the archives. It'll be archived on a Vision for You website. Nancy's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Nancy, questions only by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your first name, including the first letter of your last name. Pete B. Pete B. Chris G. Loretta H. Loretta H. Anyone else? Star 1 to unmute. Dara C. Dara. All right, well, let's get started with this group. Thank you so much. Go ahead, Pete, with your question. Hi, thanks, Leah, for your service, and happy Mother's Day. And happy Mother's Day to everybody out there. My name is Pete i I'm a compulsive overeater, and I'm recovered today by God's grace and mercy. Nancy, thank you uh, for your uh, service. And I've always been curious about this and wanted to ask, how does your daughter feel 
about your sharing the details of her illness when you tell your story about recovery. I mean, is she okay with that? I mean, do you have any dialogue about that? I'm just, I'm curious. Yeah, sure. Um, we don't really have dialogue about it, and I don't share um, details about too much of it in her hearing. Um, I thought about that, and I, it's part of who I am, so I try not to give the, um, you know, I try not to give the, the gory details of it, um, of which there are several, but, um, you know, I decided that I'm allowed to talk about it as it affects me. And um, I, give, I give, I don't think I give, you know, take my word for it, I don't give that much detail, but it was, um, it was a horrible, dark time in my life. And um, she told me that she's heard me talk about it a little bit, and she knows that nobody knows who she is. I mean, she, you know, she's met, you know, I was talking to a fellow on the phone the other day, yesterday, and she was in the car when we were talking, and so I put it on speaker, and so she joined in the conversation and, you know, put her two cents in about, you know, stuff that we were talking about. She's, I think she's okay with it. She, she loves, you know, I was a screaming, especially to her, the poor thing, and I've made amends. I was a screaming, shrieking mother, and part of my... um you know, I confronted that in my fourth step. And my, when I wrote my ideal about what kind of a mother did I want to be, I said, I don't want to be a yelling mother anymore. And I have not had to raise my voice to anybody in my family in five and a half years. I have not, other than to say, watch out, you know, like you're going to, you know, you're going to fall and break something or, you know, but I don't, no more ranting and raving, shrieking at the top of my lungs like some, you know, insane person. I don't do that anymore. And she's really grateful for that. So, you know, she doesn't like it sort of too bad, but, you know, it's, I tell it from how it affected me, not so much details about her. Thank you, Pete, for the question. Chris G., your turn. Chris, star one. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, everybody. And um, I just have a... A specific question. I, I get so much out of your share uh, in so many different ways. But my my question is, when you know, I I do uh, sponsor people, and they teach me. They teach me more than anything, and uh, uh, I I learn from them more than anything. And so many times, or all the time. They think they're not ready to sponsor other people, and they don't want to sponsor other people. They're not good enough, and they don't think they ever will. How do you address that with your sponsees? Thank you. Sure. I tell them I do the same thing that my sponsor said to me. She said, we finished the 12 steps. She goes, okay, tomorrow I want to hear you on the line saying that you're available. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I have a much better idea. And she said, what? And I said, I think we should do it again like a cycle. And she laughed right in my face. The only time I think she ever laughed out loud, maybe in her life, but certainly in my hearing. And um, she said, that's a terrible idea for me and for you. And the next day, somebody called me up and said, hi, so-and-so, my sponsor, told me that you were available to sponsor. And I said, well, I guess I am. And that's how I started sponsoring. I mean, you know, she basically shoved it down my throat. And... um, you know, in the beginning, what I tell people is, you know, I had a, a sponsee who traveled a lot. And I said, okay, you have to sponsor. And she said, well, there's no way I can sponsor like you do. And I said, of course not, because you don't have my life. You have to sponsor the way that fits your life. Maybe you can only work with one person at a time. But you have to do it or else you're going to eat again. You have to. 
And, you know, if people say that they don't want to do it, you know, I tell them in the beginning, if they don't do it, it's not going to affect me. It's going to affect them. How's it going for you? You know, I use that, you know, that phrase all the time. How's it going for you? Doing it your way. It's going well. And then I say, don't answer that. If you're talking to me, it's not. So it's not negotiable. But I don't care if they don't want to sponsor. Oh, well, I got what I needed out of it. I mean, I don't. It's not transactional, but in, you know, why do I put, spend six hours in 24, 25% of my living time on this work? Because I get so much out of it and I'm going to get out of it. I'm going to get out of it whether they do anything or not, but I do it because it's good for me. And I make sure I talk about that all the time. You know, I talk about them if they don't want to, you know, give up certain foods that they know are troublesome. You know, I'm not a food sponsor. I only help them figure out their alcoholic foods and then I tell them to go to a professional, which I am not, and tell them, take the list in hand, tell them as much or as little as they want about Overeaters Anonymous, but make it clear that they can have nothing on this list. And if someone says, oh, no, you need this for your health, thank them for their time and go to another one and make it, you know, make it more clear. But I tell them, you know, if you don't want to, you know, it doesn't affect me what they do. I mean, I'm there for them. But I'm not their, um, you know, I'm not their mother, <laughs> Mother's Day. I mean, I'm not their mother. I'm not in this capacity. I'm not even their friend. I'm their workmate. I'm their colleague. And when I'm, when I'm working, I don't schmooze. I work. I don't take personal calls at work. I work, you know, and that's what this is. And if they want to, you know, get the benefit of this work, then they have to do what they're told. And I, I, that's what I did. I mean, I always say I have one, I'm, I, it's like I have a store called Nancy P's Experience, Strength, and Hope. And there's only one thing in it, and it's Nancy P's Experience, Strength, and Hope. You know, they came to me. I point that out. And if they want what I have, they've got to do what I did in the way that works for them. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Chris, for your question. Loretta H., your turn. Good morning, Leah, and good morning, Nancy, and good morning, all, along with my precious God, who are saving my life. Happy Mother's Day. Loretta H., North Carolina, recovered. Nancy, you know what? I'm I'm on my walk, and I'm watching the surrender sign. I, every time you speak, I see surrender in light. So anyway, you've made my walk beautiful. But my question is, I also have been very fortunate to have a husband that has gone through hell and high water with me. And we, um, but he's never acknowledged my recovery. I've been in recovery for quite a long time. Not, but has your husband ever come up to you and said, you know, I see the change or whatever, because I know I've changed. But the one person I wanted to change for was him, and he's never acknowledged it. I know that's very selfish, but, you know, we're just, we're in a good place, but I guess I want that accolade. So that's my question. Um, It's so funny. My husband, like I said, is a man of few words by temperament and by his, you know, geographic origins and his profession. Like he likes to work by himself. You know, he likes to be by himself. I, I went away with my daughter to visit my son. I said, are you going to be lonely? He laughed out loud. He said, I like to be alone. And then, I, of course, I said, do you, but you love me, right? And he said, yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, of course, it's either all or nothing for Nancy P. But that exact issue, I, I, I love this story about him because it's just so perfect. I was um, 
I was raving to my sponsor about how great I felt at the end and how wonderful and I had never felt this way and blah, blah, blah. And and then I was telling my husband about the conversation. I said, oh, and, you know, and I was walking up and down our dining room table. We have a pretty big, long dining room table. I was sort of walking around three sides of it. And he was sitting at the at the end because he hadn't finished his, his um, dinner or his drink after dinner and at dinner. And um, And I was going on and on raving about it. And then I whirled around and I said, have you noticed? Now, this is my husband. He waits 10 seconds. Now, that's if you think about how long 10 seconds is, it's a long time to say nothing, but he's ruminating on it and thinking about it. And finally, he says, yes, that's all he said. And it was as though he had said, honey, you are amazing. You're so awesome, and I love you, and you're so great, and I just think you're wonderful. Let's go buy you something expensive. That's what I felt like he had said, but all he said was yes. And what I have noticed about that, about well, I've, what I've, you know, again, what I came to believe and accepted is that I have to be able to see the intent. He's not capable of saying, oh, you're so great. He just can't do that. But um, he has changed the way that I have changed. Or maybe he's the same guy and I've just changed so much. I mean, the other day we had a, um, not an argument, but he he lost his temper, which he's, I mean, 35 years this month, I think he's lost his temper maybe four times. He just doesn't. He didn't even lose his temper. He says, I don't have time for this, you know, BS. And then he, and then he, I said, I said to him, Tom, I said, I don't, I don't think I deserve to be spoken to like that. And he started to justify it. And I said, no, nope, I don't want to talk to you. Go away. And so he went to work and, and I felt, you know, like, ugh, I hated it. But when he came home, he actually said, I'm sorry, I lost my temper. And he doesn't apologize easily because he doesn't have much cause to do it. It's not that he wouldn't, but he doesn't understand. And so I took that as a miracle, like an unbelievable gift. And I didn't make a big deal of it. I said, of course, no problem. You know, I understand you were on a rush to work. And I even wrote him an email and I said, "Um, this is what I found out about the issue. I said, and perhaps in the future, if you could um, remember that I'm on my in parentheses daily meeting, which is no surprise, and I'm always on it every day, in in parenthesis, maybe you could wait until, you know, I'm off my meeting and you're not rushing off to get to work before we talk about this. Because, like, easily, either one of us easily could have, you know, brought up the email and and seen what what the facts were. Um, You know, that was my own, the only snarky, even tiny little bit of snark was when I said, you know, in parenthesis, I'm always on this meeting every single day, like five days a week. So, you know, I guess for reactions to other people and and I guess I have to look it's like seasons in Florida they exist but those of us from the Boston or the Northeast you know no snow no blizzards but they have their seasons and so I have to look at the evidence of my life to see and be satisfied and not not just be satisfied again accept what used to be unacceptable unbelievable like embrace it he's he's I have to meet him at his own level and um and and not just accept it but embrace it and love it which i do with that i'll pass thank you loretta h for your question dara your turn hi thank you leah for your service happy mother's day to everyone this is dara c in delaware and thank you nancy p my friend It's good to hear you today. Thank you so much for your share. I just wanted to ask you a little bit. I know you're a proud agnostic, 
And I wanted to ask you a little bit about your Step 11 practice. I heard you say you do your nightly review, um, but that you don't pray and meditate. I was just wondering, do you take pauses throughout the day, ask for intuitive thoughts? Do you meditate or do activities that maybe are meditative? Um, you know, do you have a morning quiet time? Just just kind of wondering what your Step 11 practice looks like. Thank you so much. Sure. My... Um um, I don't pray and meditate, but I do do meditative things. Um, and, you know, starting especially at this time of year, my garden. I love working in my garden. And, um, you know, I love watering, deadheading, you know, planting new things. That's something that I find extremely meditative. And I don't think about – I only think about what's in front of me. I think about the flowers and how much they just don't ask anything of me. All they ask for is water. I didn't water yesterday because I wasn't home. You know, I get home and then I had to leave immediately. And nobody died, but they were all, like, really happy that they got water today. And, and I told them, I said, you're doing great. You know, like, I love, I love helping you. Um, I do all those things. I, I work in my garden, my knitting, you know, my handicrafts anything that I can do for my family. I love doing my, um, I don't do my kids' laundry anymore, but I do my husband's laundry, of course, and mine. I love taking care of him. I loved washing up the stuff in the sink this morning because it became a spiritual exercise of of embracing my family for being a family, not a bunch of saints. Um, I love that. And I, and I, I don't have to take pauses because, like I said, this is, I mean, it's part of who I am. Every breath is an 11-step breath because it's joy and light, even when my life sucks, which it often does. I mean, I say this all the time. Nobody cares what I think and nobody does what I say in any way, ever, 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 you know, in any area of my life. But I am joyful. And the the reward for that is that I'm starting to attract the kinds of relationships and reactions from people already in my life that I've always wanted but was too afraid that I wouldn't get and thus and that made me afraid to say what I wanted. And um, so my very, you know, the way that I live my life and the way that I practice the 11th step is that it, it is a working part of my life. It is part of who I am every minute of every day. And um, and the, 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 the amazingness that I never could have imagined if I had written, done, you know, years of research, which I guess I did, was that the 11th step meant me where I am too. I can't do those things. I, you know, whenever I have ever sat down to pray or meditate, I immediately feel like I'm being, you know, like there's a thousand rats trying to get out of my eyes. You know, like I cannot do it. And and say what you will. No, I'm not saying anybody. You know, me, Nancy P. Say what I will about practice makes perfect. I practiced, and I'm never going to get it. So I, you know, if something's not working, when I stopped doing stuff that didn't work and started doing stuff that did work, I got what I what I have always wanted, which was to comprehend the word serenity into no peace. And I'll be happy to talk about this more offline if you want to call me. Thank you, Dara C., for your question. We still have time for more questions. Star one to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Dana P. Dana P. Thank you for your incredible presentation, Joy B. in California. My one question minute, for you. One is, minute, Joy. Thank you. Hold on one second as I gather other names, please. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Mhm. Susan C. in New York. 
and see. Anyone else? Thus far I have Dana P, Joy B, Susan C. Anyone else want to get on the list? This may be the final invitation for questions. Carolyn S. Joan S. Or Carolyn S. Carolyn S. Yes. Very good. Okay. Again, I have Dana P., Joy B., Susan C., and Carolyn S. Okay, Dana, go ahead with your question. Good morning. Good morning, Dana P. in California. Thank you, Leah, for your service, and thank you, Nancy. It's always such a joy um, to get to know someone a little bit better. Um, so my question, Nancy, and it's around how um, – I really enjoy listening to you, how you answer the questions about your, you know, how your experience is and what you share about your daughter and your husband. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, how you talk to your buddy. Uh, I've heard you say that before, that that's what you call your God, your buddy. Um, I tend to do it in my garden as well. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you talk to uh, your buddy. I don't know if that's a question, but... That's what I yeah, I, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I talk to it because, you know, I don't, I assume I live in such a way, I just, I don't, you know, one of the reasons that I dislike the concept of God itself is because what if I need something bigger than God? And if someone says, well, God's as big as there is, who says? You know, like, <laughs> show me the data. You know, that's like... I don't, um, that's my life of working with scientists, you know, show me the data and I don't see it. So I don't, I don't really, I say what I say and because it's part of who I am, this thing, it's not like outside of me, it's inside like radiating, you know, touching every, every element of my, myself, every, every gene on the bottom of every chromosome in every cell everything it's in inside so i just talk you know i think about or if i talk to myself or talk out loud who's listening when i'm in my garden i don't know but whatever happens i feel better after i just it's not like i'm making this decision myself but i i say what it is and always with the the sort of veneer and a veneer as you don't know it's like a very thin piece of wood that they put over junky wood to make it look nicer you know like a veneer of mahogany over some cheap pine wood or something you know so i i i talk to i say it out loud and then um you know i don't assume that my thinking is is the right thinking in fact i assume that it's not the right thinking but i'm so imbued with um the idea of surrender and that I don't have to worry anymore that I, I can feel when the right thinking comes to me because it's the least selfish thinking. It's the most, you know, drag your feet like, okay, you have to be nice to that person who's always so rude to you or, you know, Oh, here's that neighbor that comes over all the time and won't leave you alone and just takes you away from your work, you know, but there, you know, then I think, well, they don't have anybody to talk to at home. So really I'm doing them a service. So then I, 
stop my work and I'll talk to them, my neighbor across the street. And, um, you know, my neighbor the other day, I, the poor guy and the wife was horrified. He made an anti-Semitic remark to me and a really offensive one. And I couldn't stop my mouth from just gasping. You know, I was like, and the wife jumped on him and he, he felt terrible. And, you know, and obviously the right thing to do is to, to love him and to, to be nice to him and kind to him so that he'll, he'll, won't think that I think less of him. And I don't, he made a mistake. And, um, and, you know, like, I don't have to, I guess, I don't, like I said, I don't really talk to it, to it. I don't say, please, thing, please, thing that takes care of me, please help me. I sort of, you know, it's ethereal, ether. It's out in the in the ether. I put it out there. And whatever comes back, whatever comes back to my mind, I, I say it out loud. And whatever thought coalesces around it, I assume is from that. Because left to my own devices, I absolutely am going to pick the wrong thing to do. So I don't do that very much anymore. So I'm assuming, based on my the data, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty data-driven chick, um, that that's the evidence of it is that my life isn't a disaster anymore. So I don't worry about talking to it too much because, I don't know, somehow the communication happens. So, for me. Thank you, Dana, for your question. Joy B, your turn. Star one to unmute. I am most inspired by your talk, particularly because of the humanness of it and the struggle and the reality, your willingness to tell us your truth. And I really, really thank you. Amid your trials and tribulations, how on earth do you keep from reaching out for that favorite food? I find myself assigned to the chair by physical properties of being overweight for many years. I uh, am surrounded by children who don't want to take care of me. I have an enormous list. And, of course, the result of that is reaching out, thinking that one more bite of whatever is going to assuage that. What do you tell yourself when that thought crosses your mind? Um, Those thoughts never cross my mind anymore. And that's another thing that I never, ever would have imagined. I mean, I couldn't, I thought that all those thoughts would, still be there, but I just wouldn't react to them. I thought that was the best, that was the most creative thing that I could ever imagine. That really, um, I'd still have all the thoughts, but that I just wouldn't react to them. And that's not what happened. What really happened was the thinking has changed. I don't even think that way anymore. And that's what, I can tell you that that's the difference because any time that I had ever, you know, I said that in the beginning of my talk, I would put the, you know, like, not be eating compulsively. I, I I hate the word abstinence, but I would not be eating compulsively for a certain amount of time, but I would always be thinking. It was always like this little voice, like, I'm just over here. If you want to come and visit me, I'm all by myself. I'm not doing anything. I'm just in the corner. You know, if you came over and visited, I wouldn't be alone, and then you wouldn't be alone, and we'd be together, and it would be great because we're all... Like, that pattern never shut up. And now, not as it's not only quiet, it's gone. And the space that's in that, you know the stuff that's in the space where that was is joy and light. And, um, you know, that's what we're promised. That's what the promises, you know, that's what the ninth step says to me. It promises. So, you know, I don't want to 
say I don't want to be insensitive to your um to your pain. I am acutely sensitive to it. But, you know, I would also gently remind you or, you know, not remind you, but, you know, again, what did I say in the beginning? Like, you're not the only one that has pain and that has a bunch of kids that don't, don't want to take care of you, who, whose life is, you know, yucky, if it is. You know, you're not that far away from where you need to be. All you have to do, and it's a big, it's a big all you have to do is surrender get a sponsor, and do whatever the book says immediately and as hard as you can. And I guarantee you on my daughter's life, if you do that, you will get everything that I have, every single thing, in, in joy shape, not Nancy P shape. You know, you'll get it the way that it works best in your life, not in my life. Our lives, I don't even know anything about your life. It's different from mine. But this is for you too. You know, you're not hopeless and neither are you special. I always say this to my sponsees because if one of us is going to be, I think we can all agree it should be me. <laughs> like that's my joke, you know, like, and I'm not special like at all. So, you know, I promise you, I'm not saying that all you have to do is, you know, write a bunch of scholarly papers, publish them in a, in a scholarly journal and win the Nobel Prize. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying all you have to do is surrender, 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 and I guarantee I guarantee it. it with everything that I have. I bet more than my house. I bet my daughter's life that you will get what I would get, what I have in spades, in the highest suit. It is for you. It is for It is there. It's like a, I say this all the time. It's like a house that's made of gold and diamonds and, and, and everything precious that you could ever imagine. And you can stuff your pockets with it and, and drive away. You can jerk it off its foundation and put it in the back of a truck and leave and come back five minutes later and it will be there intact. It is unlimited. It's for everybody. I promise you. We'll pass with that. Thank you, Joy B., for your question. Susan C., good morning. Your turn. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Leah, for your service and Nancy for your talk. Um, Nancy, you, you covered a little bit of the material of my question, so I'm kind of trying to formulate a new one. You covered it in the last two responses. I'll just say that, you know, I can't help but um, comment on your surrender, surrender, surrender thing. It's often quoted by other members on the meetings as well, and I find it particularly noteworthy in light of the fact that you um, you are... Um, a, a self-confessed and delighted agnostic. And um, so I wanted, I was going to ask um, about who or what you're surrendering to, but I feel like you kind of covered that. So what I'm going to ask is um, myself having the uh, CD of, uh, you know, character defect or defense of, of of control, wanting the illusion of control. I wonder about, um, it, there's a lot of unknowns that you seem to have a comfort level with. And, um, you know, in your, and I, for me too, about, you know, who and what that higher power is. And sometimes I feel more comfortable with that, sometimes less. I wondered if you could speak to that a little. So, you know, I, um, 
You're right. I Well, I just to reiterate, like people ask me that all the time. Who do you surrender to? And that's their problem. Like I don't have a problem either, right? It's out there. I don't know what it is. I don't care. The only thing that I look at is how my life is going. Going great? Perfect. It's not going great? Also perfect. Because I know that however it's going now, it's going to change. So if it's not going great, I just assume, you know, again, this is part of it's through practice. And like I said, every single day, 365 days a year, without fail, I spend this time. And even when I, the only time when I bank it and take money out of the bank is when I go on vacation, like we're leaving on vacation in a few weeks, a couple of weeks and we're going to be gone. And, you know, not only will I not have any um, privacy, I won't have much time because I'll be with, you know, doing things, different things all the time. So I won't be, um, if I get to the, um, vision meeting, it'll be on headphones in the car while I, you know, while we're driving or something. Um, but other than that, I don't miss this stuff and, you know, miss the meeting or anything unless they have a real reason like surgery or, you know, like that pretty much. That's mostly why I've missed if I've had a surgery. And um, I just, I don't, I guess this is when I say, I don't worry about anything. I look at what the data is in front of me. And if, if my life is going well, I think it's working perfectly. And if my life is not going well, I still think it's working perfectly. It's just that it's not done doing the work yet. And so I wait. What am I supposed to do? Eat? What am I supposed to, you know, like, and I'm not dinging you on this. I'm think, thinking to myself, what would I do? What's my, what's my choice? I don't have a choice. I have to wait. I've, eating is no longer a choice. Um, and it's not even in, like it's not even on the table. I don't even think about that. I never, ever, ever, ever think about food in terms of hiding, sneaking, cheating, and lying. Ever. I have not ever. Um, and I still can't believe it when I think about food at all. Like mostly, if I speak at a meeting, I think, oh, it's, it's foreign to me. It's like thinking, huh, where did that third foot come from? You know, I never would think about that. And um, I think that, you know, I've learned that for me, control, to know, to have to know, that's been solved, you know, and I'm not a Buddhist or anything like that. I'm, I'm not any of that. <laughs> I don't know what I am. I'm just agnostic. And, um, and, and, there's, and also that I can't do any of this stuff myself. If I feel myself trying to control things, which I sometimes do, you know, I'm human. I pick up the phone and I don't talk about myself. I don't talk about and say, oh, my husband is such a jerk. He won't do this. Or my daughter is such a jerk. Or my son is such a jerk, which I often can think, like, you know, why aren't they doing what I want? And then I'll remind myself, oh, yeah, they don't have to do what you want. It's because they don't care. And no one's going to die, including you. You know, I live in this space that my, what I reach for, what my answer to those things are, is especially other people. That's where I seek counsel. Not so much... Seeking counsel might be like when you go to a lawyer, they're counsel, professional, right? You go and say, well, I want to make a will. I need a counsel. I need counsel to do that. Or, you know, I want a divorce. I, I need some counsel to, you know, help me with that. But when I seek counsel, it's just that what I seek is other people. And, you know, I, I got a call the other day from someone who was just, she sounded like she was leaning out a window of a high rise getting ready to jump. And all that she said was that her life was difficult. And so I talked to her and I, um, you know, I was sympathetic and I said, again, you're not that far from where you have to be. I said, if you want my input, what I would do is I would call other people and not talk about myself because what does the third step prayer say? Not that I love it. I mean, not that I do it, but, you know, remove, relieve me of the bondage of self, not food or alcohol. 
self. That's the problem. So her, her life isn't what's the problem. It's her living in it. So I said, if it were me, I would call up people, get, make at least two contacts before you stop trying and call me in a, you know, a few days and let me know how it went. And she said, oh, thank you so much. And I mean, I tell everybody that. I don't know why anyone ever calls me, but that's, a, that's my generic feedback to, for any problem is to call other people and not talk about yourself because that's what works for me. And, um, and it's so, part of it is practice makes perfect and I do it, I practice it all the time. I, all the time. I have muscle memory, spiritual muscle memory in that. And, um, and that's what I tell people and that's, that's what I do. And then I just wait. And if I feel better, I say, great, it worked. And if I don't feel better, I say, hmm, probably need to make some more calls. Like someone will say, I'll say, do that. And they'll say, well, I did. I called someone and I still feel bad. And I say, well, you have to do it until it works. And it's not like you have to, I don't know, drive on the wrong side of the road, you know, going north in the southbound lane until you hit somebody or try not to hit somebody and do it until you hit somebody. It's like, no, you have to drive to a place until you get there. You know, you can't get off the road and say, oh, you know, I have to, my, my friend lives two towns over, but I'm just not, I'm going to be mad that I'm not at her house because I stopped and parked my car at this in this town. You know, you have to go until it works. And these, what I, what I tell people, what I do for myself, my experience, the data, you know, what actually has happened is that this stuff works if I do it long enough or enough times. And so I do. And like, you know, my favorite page in Bill's story is that, um, you know, he, on page 15, he talks about how work with the newcomer sets him on his feet again. And then the next thing is that he and his wife threw themselves into this lifestyle and we find that, you know, he finds that it, it works even in rough going. And my, my experience is it works especially in rough going. Like, when else are you going to do it? It's easy to make a phone call when you feel great, but when you don't feel so good, and all you want to do is moan and complain about your own problems. That's the worst thing that you can do. That's the worst thing I can do. I don't know about anybody else. But the worst thing I can do is call somebody up and then say it again and again and again. Like, ugh, I can't imagine anything more awful than that today. Whereas before, if I didn't tell people as many times as possible how bad my life was, I didn't feel like I was living. Today, you know, I um, I kind of try to live in a place where I, depri- I, I consider doing that, depriving it of oxygen. And my resentments and my fears die from lack of oxygen. And oxygen to them is when I talk about them and I revel in them and I, I, I savor them and I, you know, I think of ways to live them again and again in fantasy, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show them and then I'll tell someone how awful they were and how poorly used I was and all the rest of it. I mean, that sounds to me like awful like i'd rather eat glass and drink blood than do that today and even sometimes when i feel like it i'm like "Mm -hmm, no i don't think so we're going to call people and not talk about ourselves and even if it's just the one phone call but that's all that it takes like i cannot do this alone i can't sit in a chair and say great i'm not a compulsive overeater anymore or i don't have to eat compulsively anymore that's it only takes four seconds to say i'm not going to eat compulsively anymore how do we keep from starting can't do it ourselves. Nancy P. can't do it with the God thing. So I use other people, not as a stand-in, but as a bolster from a, for the nascent green shoot of spiritual wakefulness. 
you know, I am nothing without other people. They have, they're the ones that saved me. And, um, you know, I know I'm not the only one because they all call me because I'm pretty out and open about it. And most people, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty much, I can't think of anybody, nor would I mention a name, but I actually can't think of anybody off the top of my head that says, I'm an agnostic and I'm out and proud. I'm the only one that does that. And, and I'm, it's a service because I get a lot of calls about that. So that's what I have to say about that. Thank you very much for your question. Thanks for everybody's questions this morning. Appreciate uh, the dialogue. And thank you so much, Nancy, for your presentation this morning. It's always a delight to have you on the line. Truly a compelling and, and authentic presentation. Very, very inspiring story of your transformation. Much appreciated. Once again, the sheer ID for this morning, 20,258. That's 20258. And we're going to close now. It is that time. Uh, we're going to close from page 164 from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give free of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then. <laughs>